With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For 12-pack radio, get excited, y'all. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, Pac-12 gambling advice with William Hills, Max Meyer, and the home of the Beta Rank College Football Statistical Model with Mr. Rob Barron. This is Brian Conger. Thank you for joining us. And we have a fun podcast coming up. Still the offseason, but still looking more like we're going to have a season. We're not quite certain when, but clearly college football looks to be on the horizon, whether it's in the fall or the winter, wherever. Um, it's just uh, more good news now than we've seen in the past. It's all speculation, but still we want to continue to cover Pac-12 football because there's been a lot going on and um, just a lot of teams and changes this week. And before we get into our Pac-12 coaching superlative show, I'm joined by Mr. Max Meyer. What's going on, Max? Not much. Uh, busy weekend in the world of sports, at least um, compared to the last few weeks, because we had uh, this golf match between uh, Wo- Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning versus Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady. Uh, we have had like three or four NASCAR races or yeah, three NASCAR races in the past week. Uh, Bundesliga, German soccer is back. So, yeah, it's, it's nice to see sports coming back. German soccer, man. The handle on that must have been crazy town because it was all over my Twitter feed. <laughs> just people talking about German soccer that I've never even like knew were soccer fans. How how was uh? I mean, did you see an abnormal spike in uh, participation among sports betters? I- I'm assuming so across like all you know NASCAR uh, and everything. The one sport that has been absolutely crushing and dwarfing every sport um, si- since the pandemic has broken out has been table tennis. Yeah, and Rob, I knew I knew you were a whale when it came to table tennis. You're probably throwing thousands of dollars on uh, it, right? Oh, I I am not. I I I would not trust because this is Russian and Ukrainian table tennis. So I I don't I don't know if those matches are being honest. Uh, but yeah, the the, the um, handle on on table tennis has been absurd compared right. to every other sport. Rob, are you more of a Ukrainian fan, the way that they approach the game, or are you more of a Russian guy? You know, I uh, I, I prefer the Chinese game, to be frank. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the dark force of the. <laughs> the what I when I used to live on the Upper West Side, there was this like bananas, like table tennis, like ping pong, um, like business, like that was just set up like right across from this uh, this synagogue that I would walk by on my way to the. Um, on my way to the the subway every day, and it was like run by this like Chinese gold medal Olympian uh, who uh, just ran like I mean like and you I, no matter what time of night 
like if I was out walking my dog or, you know, like whenever, like the place would just be packed, packed with people like who are very, very serious about ping pong. <laughs> well, now, now, you know, we understand why there's been such a, a peaked interest in the sport. That's, that's pretty funny. You never know what pops up. But we're not here to talk about table tennis. We're here to talk about Pac-12 football. I wanted to direct our attention to the coaches, particularly the defensive and offensive coordinators, in addition to the head coach, because really the quality of the coordinators and the quality of the coaching staff has such a big impact in football and whether your team is going to succeed or regress this coming year. And so we decided to put together five superlatives, you know, most likely to succeed, you know, most to gain, most to lose. Um, even those aren't those aren't technically superlatives, but whatever. Um, and, and really go through those in I think it'll be a great opportunity to open up a conversation about what these coaching staffs bring and what to expect moving forward. So let's just start with the most to gain. We have such a funky season coming up where budgets are going to be incredibly important. And you have a lot of different coaches that are coming into the season either on the hot seat, uh, but maybe they're not on the hot seat because their their you know, athletic department doesn't have any money. We have new coaches that um, have a lot of opportunity ahead of them to hopefully make more money or for them possibly jump to another program, which is another one of our topics. Let's start with, with uh, the most to gain. And I have two names on my end, but I'm curious, Rob, who you, who you have as uh, the Pac-12 head coach with the most to gain in this 2020-2021 season. I, I think it's Clay Helton. <laughs> I mean, um, I, I think, I mean, you, you you could say, I mean, I like, I think you could also say like maybe uh, Kevin Sumlin, you know, two two guys that, you know, depending on budgets would might otherwise enter the uh, the season on the, or you know seriously on the hot seat. But I do think for uh, the two of them that they're uh, they have they have a significant amount to gain this season. Um, and they've they have both of them are coming off of off seasons where they revamped their coaching staff. Um, they're both bringing back freshman quarterbacks, one of whom slow has played a lot more than Gannell, but are, are pretty well thought of. Um, yeah, I, th- I, I would say I think it's Clay Helton coming into this year has the most to gain because I think he could ra- I think he could wrap up the USC job for a couple more years uh, if this year goes right. <laughs> now, Max. You got your bag man back, and congratulations. I don't know what you did behind the scenes to get him back in, in that seat because USC is recruiting like a bad man again. So that certainly raises um, the kind of raises some of the chips that Clay Helton has in his corner when he's trying to retain his job. I tend to agree with Rob. I had a, another coach that I'll throw out in a second, but wanted to know what you think about Helton. Uh, does he have the most to gain? It seems like he has the talent there. He has a, a pretty solid staff. What do you think? I just think that. Even if Clay Helton like goes like ten and two, eleven and one, I just I, I just think that there there's been too much of a valley for the USC fan base to really uh, back him unless he has like a couple like really like two or three strong years in a row. I, I don't think one year is going to do it. I think one year means that he he'll get another season. But do, would I expect uh, an extension based off of one strong season? No. So I actually. I, w- I would go in a different direction for most to gain. Uh, my pick is Justin Wilcox, uh, just because I think that if Cal make because he's been, he's uh, he took over Cal from Sonny Dykes and that program uh, de- well the defense was definitely in shambles, but he's completely revamped Cal's identity and they can definitely take the next step this season. And when I think of most to gain. 
at least in terms for Wilcox, I think that he can definitely parlay a fringe top 25 season at Cal, maybe like a nine and four uh, season or so into a job with a, a much bigger program and one that isn't uh, having as many or as much financial uh, struggles as Cal. I'm with you. It's just the, the one thing with him, and I have him as most likely to leave the Pac-12, which we'll get there in a, in a few uh, superlatives here. But one of the things with Wilcox, and I think he has a lot to gain if he has a good season, but my goodness, Max, the hires that he made around him to get him to that next level are just head-scratching. Yeah, I mean, uh, having Peter Sermon uh, as your uh, defensive co- or yeah, defensive coordinator and defensive play caller uh, definitely leaves a lot to be desired after uh, Tim DeRoyter left. Uh, I'm, f- I'm fine with the Musgrave hire at, at offensive coordinator uh, just because I think that that's an upgrade over Bo Baldwin. And then in the secondary, uh, going from Gerald Alexander to Marcel Yates, that's also a big-time issue. But we'll see I, I, because Justin Wilcox, his, his reputation is defensive mastermind. And if he can overcome Peter Sermon and Marcel Yates on his <laughs> and still churn out a, a very strong defense, then, yeah, I, I think that he'll have plenty to gain after the season. <laughs> That's I, I almost feel like Wilcox has, like, the, like a lot to lose, though. Um, well, because, because he's got momentum, and yet, like, and he's made some perplexing moves. Um, and, and the defense was, I mean, it was awful again. I mean, like, Alexander's gone. That was the strength of that defense, along with some of their best players. And I... I mean, I still like with Cal, it just comes down to me. It's like, do they have a nose tackle? And you have Peter Sermon. <laughs> like, I, I feel I, like Wilcox could like lose momentum this season pretty easily. I was going to, for me, like, let's say Cal has a disaster. Like, let's say they go five and seven. Would Justin Wilcox be on the hot seat? Because I don't know. No, 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 no. But I mean, like, he, he, he might, if he's angling for a bigger job, like, he might be stuck in Berkeley in another three years then. Agree. But when I think of most to lose or, uh, yeah, uh, most to lose. Like I, I think of someone who might not necessarily be on the hot seat squarely, like Clay Helton, and still lose his job, or be put on the hot seat after a bad season. And I don't think Wilcox, if he has that five and seven bolus year, that he'd be on the hot seat just because I really don't think with Cal with their budget that they can do that much better at head coach at the head coaching spot. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean. And and shouts to them for getting him in the first place. Like that that was a good hire, and um, what he's been able to do in in Berkeley has been pretty impressive. Um, I I have one more name for you guys, uh, and I think by the way, like with Helton. So actually, let's talk about him for just one more second here. Let's say Max he goes ten and two, or nine and three. Like is he on the hot seat if he goes nine and three? I think they at least retain him for another year. In, in Is it's just like Clay Helton going nine and three in perpetuity, and it, it's every USC fan's hell. Like he just like barely decent enough to get another year, but didn't, still not good enough to be the long term answer. And he just continues to get one chance after another. Like nine and three, if 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 the college football season goes as as scheduled, I I would think that ten and two in in the Pac twelve championship game. I mean. I think I feel like that's the minimum. I I think nine and three would be considered disappointment. Uh, even if, like even if they win the Pac-12 title, like I, I just think I I don't think USC with with the amount of talent that they have and compared to the rest of the Pac-12 that they should that they should have more than two losses. And I think that gets right to the expectations for Helton. It's like you know nine and three, 
and you, and I take a look at 10 and 2 and I go, "Oh, that's a high bar for him." But it's freaking USC. Like he has two really good coordinators. They just brought in a special teams person. They have one of the best like freshman quarterbacks that they've had in a while. <laughs> like they have running backs and and defensive five-star players all over the place. I mean, it is what it is. I think we've talked about SC at nauseum. Um, but I wanted to throw this name out here for you with most to gain and I I put Jimmy Lake as as in that pool. Um Somebody that mm-hmm. clearly, yeah, clearly as a defense, uh, they're going to have a nasty defense regardless. And he's at the helm there. If if that offense is, let's let's pretend it's one and a half times better than we think it's going to be under, uh, was it Josh Donovan? I always forget his first name. Um, John Donovan, my apologies. Let, let's say that they're one and a half times better. Man, like that boosts, I mean, like we're talking... He's he's going to get a lot of a lot of leash for the next couple of years based on getting getting Washington to a nine and three season, which is I, I think what they could do if the offense hums. I don't think it's going to. But Rob, what do you think about Lake as having one being one of the coaches that has the most to gain? Well, I think this is like because what we probably need to set here is like what are the expectations for these teams coming in? Like I probably think Wilcox like may not have a ton to gain because I think people actually I think the expectations are actually maybe a, maybe a little too high for Cal, <laughs> um, you know, like coming into this season. The same goes for uh, like the late concerns me, and I say this as someone that um, probably follows and interacts with like way too much of husky twitter <laughs> like, i i i think that there's the the huskies have some relatively high expectations coming into this season and i do think that they look at it as that it's them and oregon you know like 1a and 1b in the north oh that's so um, that's ridiculous i mean, I'm, I'm no, not, you're but not saying know. it but I, they like, are yeah no, I mean, I, I, like I have Oregon as a clear favorite be, just because they hired Joe Moorhead instead. And I, you know, I, like, but both, I mean, Oregon's defense projects at number two in Vader Inc. Washington's projects at number four. I mean, they both have that side of the ball locked down coming into this season. Um, I think that uh, it is for Lake. I, what I, what concerns me is that I do think that I think Washington fans, and you could maybe argue like this is maybe what drove Chris Peterson into retirement. I think Washington fans just generally have really high expectations now, um, you know, since they had that playoff run. And I, I mean, Lake is, there's a lot of pressure and I see it from, you know, a lot of Washington podcasts, you know, and, and you know, some of the fans that have, you know, some following that there's a lot of pressure on recruiting this year because they have uh, a bumper crop of prospects in the Pacific Northwest and Seattle area. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of pressure on them to, to land a top five class. I mean, and there was pressure on them to try to land the number one class. Um, and I don't, I, I like, I don't know that, I think Lake's going to have a hard time meeting Husky fans expectations this season, because I don't think Donovan was a great hire and he put his neck out there for it. Do you, now you're right. I think amongst everyone else, most people went Josh Donovan. How did we end up here? Right. So that like, I think most people have it Oregon as one and Washington is like two. Um, and then some people might even have Cal at two, but I don't think like I do think that um, I do think that Lake's like within the Washington fan base. I do think that there is a lot of pressure on Lake this season. So I don't know. I, I, I I'm not saying you're wrong. Like I mean, I, I think he and like I think 
another name we might throw out there too that we didn't talk about is like Herm Edwards might have a lot to gain this season because even though I don't think that the Sun Devils are going to be great, their schedule is cotton candy soft. Yeah. Right. Like, and if you pile up the wins, nobody's going to care. Like, you know, that like the Pac-12 was awful that year. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But why, like, I mean, if you're, if you're Jimmy Lake, uh, you know, if they go nine and three, I don't think Washington fans are going to be pumped. I, wow, if Washington fans can't get excited over nine and three with Lake in their first year, I mean, considering that they have uh, a, a tough non-conference game with Michigan, even if Michigan is still down, and then they are at USC and at Oregon, that's a tough schedule. I, I, I it think, is. Yeah, so I would think that Washington would be thrilled with nine and three. I mean, they might be if it's – I mean, like, let's say all three of their losses. Like, let's say they lost to Michigan, USC, and Oregon. I mean, then then Jimmy Lake would have, like, you know, like, can Jimmy Lake win the big game, right? Like, that would be the question after after that season. But it might be, though, that the question is uh, out of that that, you know, can't – like, you know, the with those, it depends on where the losses – like, how do they sit? Like, are all those games close? Um you know, like I, I, I feel like that. I mean, that's sort of Clay Helton's problem too, in a way, right? Like, it's okay to lose to Bama. Like, it's probably not okay to lose to Bama by thirty. Yeah, no, that that's that's true. I agree with that. Max, between Herm Edwards and Jimmy Lake, who do you think has most to gain? Um, I'll go with Herm, just because I think that if he, because I, I feel like the her, at least with the Herm Edwards hire, like it was originally panned, but the first two years. Like he's done well, but I think like a top twenty-five season, if he can pull that off with Arizona State. Now, granted, we are pessimistic about Arizona State this season, but if he can do that, then I I think that the Herm Edwards model, I, that it's that it was a success, that it was a good hire for Arizona State, that they they helped stabilize the program, uh, and that there's a clear progression. I think with Lake, I I think that it's year one. I, I think that Washington is is likes the hire, and I I don't unless they like really like go like eleven and one or something like that. I I, I think that Washington's fans like their um their opinion of him won't be too high or too low after this year. I, I think that they're gonna have to wait another at least another year uh to you know I I guess really fully form uh, their uh, opinion on him. Okay, that's fair. Well, let's go to offensive coordinator here. And I have a number of names, but I'm curious, Rob, who comes to mind in terms of the offensive coordinator in the Pac-12 that has the most to gain this coming season? I think it's Donovan. I mean, <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I mean seriously, because every, everyone panned it, right? Like, I mean, everyone, even Washington fans were like, you know, WTF is this. Um, so I do think, I mean, I think Donovan's got uh, – he's got a lot to gain this season because I, I think the expectations for him are, are really so low. Um, you know, like you could make an argument maybe for Bill Musgrave. You could also, I think, make an argument for uh, Noah Mazzoni because he's going to get Grant Cannell um, there. Maybe Zach Hill at Arizona state, but I, I, I think it's Donovan because he's like, um, you know, like I, I think the expectations for him, like if he manages to field an offense that's in the top 20, um, that's a that's a pretty big win for him and and you know rebuilding his reputation after he got fired at Penn State and he didn't have any good offenses at Penn State or at Vanderbilt so um, you know like he would he would definitely validate his hire you know inject some energy into the program 
um yeah that'd be i i, th- I think he's got it's it, it's odd to say but he's almost got like nothing but upside uh given how how much that hire was sort of banned it's it's like every every four years the political presidential candidate that has the lowest expectations going into debate they're like well he didn't wet himself so give him a give him a yeah, b plus that's I mean, <laughs> kind of the same but that, it's gonna be the narrative right like yeah. that's i mean that's sort of how we're gonna shape this is like you know how did we how did we how did they do versus how did we expect them to do um and i just yeah i feel like he's got low expectations like i might have lower expectations for zach hill at arizona state than other people do but i i think a lot of people have fairly high expectations for him so um with what he's got coming back uh and a lot of the other ocs around the conference like i don't know i mean joe moorhead's got like sky high expectations like i mean if he does anything but succeed like uh he's in trouble what what names come to your mind max well, so I, I'm taking, I guess, a different approach than Rob because when I think of most of the game for a coordinator, it's having such a good season that they get head coach offers. And so the, the obvious name to me is Graham Harrell because I think that Slovis yeah. is the real deal. If USC finishes with a, a top 10 offense, which I think is in, very realistic uh, with the amount of talent and definitely with, with the beta rank projection because you have them uh, top five on offense, right? I have them. So the model has them a little low because USC has just wildly underperformed talent for so many years that the model basically adjusts USC down automatically now. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's basically like this is how Clay Helton handles five stars. But I personally, like Beta Rank has them at 15 coming into the year. I think they're a top five offense. Like I, I, I think that. Like the the weight of the years prior to Harold's hire is sort of unfairly dinging them. I I think they're a top five offense next year. So if USC has like that that elite top ten offense, I think Harold's going to be like the the top option or second best option of next uh, season or next offseason coaching carousel. Like he's definitely going to be the hot trendy name that can have his pick of the jobs. NFL is going to be interested. I mean the Eagles were interested this offseason. Uh, for Harold to be their offensive coordinator. So I, I just think that he would go from being the USC offensive coordinator to having his pick for any job he wants. What do you guys think about Bill Musgrave? That was one I had on there where you have a, a quarterback in Garbers who can be really good. You return basically everybody, your running backs, your wide receivers, your offensive line. Granted, the offensive line wasn't great. But if Bill Musgrave, I mean, it's almost like Cal was so much better when Garbers was quarterback. And so the expectations for him, I think the floor is really high already for him to have a successful season. Let's say he just does what he's supposed to do. Does that bump his name up into, you know, other jobs? Because I had him pretty high on the list of somebody that would have a lot to gain this year. I don't like I, I, I could. He could definitely get offers from other schools. I just don't know if he would get it from top tier schools. Unless, like, Cal just completely, like, becomes a, a juggernaut in his seat. Because, I, obviously, Cal won't be able to retain him if, if he gets uh, a top-shelf offer. I just – I don't know if I really see that from Cal. And just because of, like, Musgrave's age versus Harrell's age. Like, Harrell is, like, the young up-and-comer. Um, but I, I do think Musgrave could get other jobs. But I'd be interested I, – I just don't – I feel like – the ceiling of his job offer might not might just won't be as high. That makes a lot of sense, Rob. It'd be like his, one year of success before he jumps. Well, his 
if he's really successful, his next job might not be in college. Like he might go back to the pros. That's also true. Yeah. Like, I mean, if, yeah, I mean, if he demonstrated, I mean, Cal's offense, I mean, they bring back everyone under the sun, <laughs> but I still think they might end up somewhere in like the forties, right. Uh, on offense. If he managed to get them into like a top 25, honest to goodness, fun offense. Like, yeah, like that guy, that guy deserves another shot at the NFL. Yeah. That's funny. You could tell the, the prism that this podcast looks at sports because they're like yeah i guess he can go back to the nfl and we're like yeah i guess so <laughs> rather yeah, than like yeah, yeah hooray <laughs> like good for you <laughs> millions of dollars um yeah yeah that, that's definitely could be a scenario on that front um let's go defensive coordinator here rob who has the most to gain uh you know i honestly think it's orlando <laughs> and hear me out so i think orlando comes in again as like a totally meh hire that didn't excite a lot of people um last year was always going to be a little bit of a dip year um on the defense for usc because they were going to replace so much they do bring back a decent amount of production on defense um I think for Orlando, like his his numbers have usually been like uh, Texas. His numbers were far better earlier on than they were towards the end. Um, you know, like it's a shot for him to really sort of rebuild because, um, I mean, USC plucked him out. He was the linebacker coach for Texas Tech um, was the, the place he landed. So it's a shot for him to sort of rebuild his reputation. Um, you know, like maybe start to put himself back on track towards maybe getting a head coach job. There, but I mean, if uh, you know, like, if it's not Orlando, it's probably Andy Avalos who is definitely going to get a head coaching job. I would think. I totally agree. I had Orlando as one on the list, and just it's also he has so much talent there, and it just seemed like Pendergast made so many mistakes and problems and was over aggressive that somebody just looking at that defense differently can raise that level to where USC should be, Max. Yeah, and no, I, I mean Orlando. Like, I, I guess he needed a prove it uh, gig, and USC is is as high profile of a prove it gig as it gets after uh, the end of his tenure at Texas. So I think Orlando is a great choice. I also, um, yeah, I mean Avalos is basically the defensive version of Graham Harrell. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, I'm fine with that option too. Uh, yeah, th- those would probably be the the top. The, top options for me okay i'm gonna throw out a name for you guys marvin lewis right <laughs> right like what, what so so what if what if lewis fields a top 20 defense next year like what does he get for that oh i mean what does marvin lewis want to do i mean like so Baderink projects arizona state's defense at 25 like they bring a lot back they were actually the decent half of that team last year because their offense was god awful um yeah, like what is like where does Marvin Lewis go, right? Like, I mean, I don't know. Like, I I have a hard time seeing him getting like another college job. Like, I don't know. I say that like, sure. I mean, Marvin Lewis would definitely. I think I don't know that he would. I don't know what people's expectations are though for Marvin Lewis. Do you guys? I mean, like, I feel like people just it's just like so under the radar, and I don't know why it is. <laughs> It was like the fourth thing that we covered, like whenever the news broke, he was like, oh, yeah, and Marvin Lewis is the defensive coordinator. Like, was... <laughs> what do you think, Max? Yeah, no, I, I feel like Marvin Lewis, like with Peter Stern, like those are like two of the more under the radar uh, Pac-12 uh, defense, or I, I should say just defensive play call, but play caller slash coaching changes this offseason. Uh, well, I mean, well, I, I should say that Lewis was with the Arizona State 
uh, staff last season as an advisor, and now uh, he got promoted to co-defensive coordinator. But I, I'm i bullish on uh, Lewis's uh, capability of being a defensive coordinator. I mean, uh, the work that he did in the NFL – uh, definitely speaks for itself. I mean, the Bengals never won a playoff game with him, but look at the Bengals before and after his tenure. They've been a disaster. So, and, and Arizona State, like, they, they have nice pieces. Um, they definitely have to improve uh, getting to the quarterback because that was a problem last season, and it resulted in opposing quarterbacks just picking apart their secondary. And it seems like Lewis just wants to try and get more pressure and that could help the defense a lot. So, yeah, I, I just I, – I don't see what he has to gain, though. Yeah, I know. I was like, what does what Marvin Lewis at this point want? I mean, like, he, he – and it's just so funny because like, you go – you look at some of the hires this offseason in the Pac-12. I mean, Paul Rhodes, Marvin Lewis. I mean, those guys were, like, last at the top of their game in the aughts. Like Colin plays, you know, like Marvin Lewis for the Ravens and, um, you know, Paul Rhodes when he was at Pitt. Um, there's just, uh, it, it's sort of, you look at those guys and you're like, what's the, uh, what's the, uh, what's the next step if there's a next step? I just see Herm Edwards and Marvin Lewis like smoking cigars outside of Herm's backyard, looking at the beautiful sunset over the mountains and Phoenix just going like, isn't life great? I mean, like, because there's no pressure on them, really. They, they've already done what they need to. They could just ride this gravy train for two or three years minimum. And and they've done and they've earned it, to be fair. Like that, that program has a feel to it and they've recruited at a, at a high level. And um, I don't know. It's just it's interesting. Like eight and four. If you're an ASU fan, hell yeah. Like I take that every year. And, and it's so funny. Oh, go ahead. No, no. I just, I think Herman and his team probably can get them to to do that most most years. Like Marvin Lewis and, and Herm, like I mean, they're these guys are. I mean, they're quite old. And like, but if you flip it around, ASU also has two of the youngest on field coaches: that wide receiver coach and uh, their safeties coach. I mean, somebody, somebody, they were showing a clip of a game that was played in 2015, and ASU's safety coach was playing in that game in college football. <laughs> and then I would say one sneaky name that I'd like to throw in there. I, I think Jake Dickert, if he yeah. had an impressive first year in yep. Pullman, I think that he could easily get snatched up and, and be, Oh, I, um, I was going to say great. I mean, Alex Grinch was, was in Pullman for longer, but just based off of his work at Wyoming and, and it, Washington State's defense was a disaster last year. So if there's market improvement, I think that he could definitely get a bigger job out of this. Yeah, good call there. I mean, and, and if if you get the poo-poo platter and you turn it into, you know, Egg Foo Young or whatever, like, God bless you. Um, and I think he has an opportunity to do that. It'll be interesting to see what he's able to do at Wazoo. Let's talk about the coaches that have the most to lose right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Have you ever experienced turbulence on a flight and wondered why? 
And you can see all the terrain around you. Uh, you've got no issue with visibility or anything? No, everything's peachy. Maybe you've sat on the tarmac for hours wondering why your plane isn't moving. Well, we're outside here. They're saying the ramp is closed. They won't let us park because of uh, Air Force One. Listen in on the conversations between pilots and air traffic controllers on the Air Traffic Out of Control podcast. 5130 declaring an emergency. There's smoke in the cabin. I need to make a landing right now on 31 left. We have the most interesting, wild, and funny ATC recordings you will ever hear. Check out Air Traffic Out of Control wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. All right, we are back. And there's a lot to lose in this conference. There's been a lot of losing in this conference, let's be honest. But um, we have a lot of head coaches here, a lot of them with something on the line. Max, who is coach number one uh, of your head coaches that have the most to lose? Okay, so I, I guess it, it's this this question is interesting because it's how, it, it depends how you want to answer it because there are quite a few coaches on the hot seat. So there's Kevin Sumlin. There's um, and uh, Clay Helton. Those are those are the two biggest ones. I mean, and based off of that, I mean, Clay Helton, he has he has the better job. So to find like that would be the most to lose. Then there's Chip Kelly, which is interesting, but he also has an insane buyout. And I don't like it just it doesn't feel like he's all the way in. So I don't really know how much he's losing it if. He gets canned at UCLA. Maybe he never gets another head coaching job again. I'm going to go in a weird direction. I don't think this coach would get fired if uh, this school has another bad season. But I do think that there will be uh, a disgruntled fan base and maybe some whispers that, that that his time might be done sooner rather than later. And that's David Shaw for me, um, which it, like you, you never would have thought that even like three years ago. But I, I just think that three – well, because last year obviously was the disaster season. Uh, two years ago, Stanford, I, I think, finished with like seven wins. Uh, and and they, they weren't really that impressive either. And then this season, their win total is five and a half. And, and I feel like a, a five and seven uh, year at Stanford. And, and I mean, what Shaw has done um, taking over from Harbaugh and creating these high expectations, it's kind of been a blessing and a curse because normally like five and seven, six and six at Stanford – that's more than fine, but with where Shaw has taken this program before and now to where the program is, I feel like another five and seven, four and eight year could lead to him maybe, uh, being on, on the hot seat heading into the following season or maybe some uh, internal pressure for him to possibly resign. Um, that I, I don't like, I don't think he would be fine. Like, I, I think that he would have to have like a total uh, coaching staff makeover uh, if he were to have another disastrous season. But that's, that's, that's where I would go. Yeah. And I didn't put any, uh, I, I didn't put any stipulations on this because Max, you're a smart Pac-12 fan. Rob, you're a smart Pac-12 fan. We all know the different buyouts and the financial situations. So, I mean, Chip Kelly was kind of one that was initially on my radar. And then I kind of thought like, well, if he doesn't do well, like, are they gonna? Are they actually gonna pull the trigger on Chip Kelly and try to buy him out now? And I don't think that's the case. I think that might be the case with Kevin Sumlin too, Rob. 
I don't know if Arizona is going to be able to have the financial stability to, you know, hire yet another coach to be like the third coach in four years or something. And it's not like Tucson is raining money on that athletics department. So Clay Helton was one, which, I mean, obviously, I think that's the most easy one to point out. But I had David Shaw as 1A, too. I'm curious what you think if he has a five and seven year in in Stanford. I mean, I think that's definitely true uh, of Shaw, that he's that he's he definitely would be in tro- i mean i don't know that he'd be in it's hard to say with david shaw right because like, you feel like in some ways he he has he's even if it starts to go south he's probably got three years from stanford to try to turn it around um but yeah i would definitely say that i mean it's going to really hurt him momentum wise um you know to take another season on the nose like uh like they did last year um, and it would, it, it might actually force his hand to do a coordinator shakeup, but I mean, frankly, like a, a staff shakeup is exactly what everyone thinks Stanford needs, uh, too. So I, I, I agree with Shaw. I also though, like, I, I think it's, it's the coaches with the really high expectations. Like, I, I do feel like that there's some, like, there's some potential downside because like the South is so bad. I mean, you bet you have if you have Arizona, Colorado, and UCLA on your schedule, <laughs> you got you got three practically guaranteed wins. And and for that, I mean, I do think like I think Herm Edwards and 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 uh, and Clay Helton have a lot to lose because I do think that the expectations for them are are somewhat high. I mean, if you're Clay Helton uh, um, coming into this season, like there you are number one. People are projecting Arizona State sort of as like the the teams challenge you. Um, you know, meanwhile, like, you know, Kyle Whittingham is playing with house money with an incredibly young team that like, whatever he does will be fine. Um, like I just, yeah, I, I feel like for, for Halton, like USC could raise the buyout money, um, you know, no matter the economy for USC football. Um, I think for ASU, the, the danger for Herm would be losing momentum like that. And I do think that is serious. Like if, if Herm lost momentum, and that carried through into recruiting, um, like Arizona State, like that, that that could set them back a year or two. What do you guys think about Jimmy Lake? I think he's got a lot of those because he's got so much coming back on that defense. Yeah, the floor is pretty high for him. I'm just wondering, like, if he and you got to assume that that's all short up, so it's more just the offensive side. But what if yeah. what if Washington goes seven and five? Like, how how up in arms does the fan base get? I, I think he's bought himself a lot of love from them because he's just been he's a really popular coach there he's earned that position he's really worked hard to get there um i think they'll still recruit but max if washington goes seven and five how does the fan base look at jimmy lake i just think with a coordinator as beloved as lake and, and i mean this was lake was clearly the succession plan um from peterson i just think he's gonna have time i think seven yeah. and I have like, yes, it's a disappointing year, but I, I don't think he has anything to lose from that. You agree, Rob? I mean, I, I think for Lake, it's that, uh, like with the, again, like with, with the, with the, the recruiting class that he might need to bring in given the local kids this season. Um, and also given, you know, I, I think the pressure is on partly because like Mario Cristobal has proven himself to be very competent at Oregon. <laughs> And, and that has put renewed pressure on the Washington program. I do think that if, you know, if they went seven and five and let's say they lost to Oregon by 20, like I think the pressure's on for Jimmy Lake, especially if the offense stinks and that was his sort of marquee hire and he blows it. Um, I think he is going to feel some pressure in year one. 
Um, not, not, not in like Jimmy Lake won't be on the hot seat, you know, like, but it would not be, um, it would not be an auspicious start. That's for sure. I mean, he, he, he probably needs to, to, to have a decent season this, you know, this season to, to build off of. I'm just like Chris Peterson. Did he go eight and five this first year at Washington? If I'm not oh mistaken. yeah. But I mean like, yeah, I mean, no, no. I'm like, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, um, I mean, I'm trying to remember. Did Chris Peterson get smoked by Oregon, though? I mean, maybe. He, so they went eight and six. That and team was sneaky yeah. good, though. Yeah, I'm just looking at their year. Oregon. Oh, they lost 45 to 20 at Autzen. Ooh. Mm. I, but I would also say though that that was that was different, and that he was taking over for Sark. And I don't think Washington fans were in love with Sark. Um. A lot of them were pretty happy that they went to SC. Like, I think Washington, like, no one was expecting that Washington team to have it figured out on either side of the ball, I think. That's what, like, I think it's different. Like, Washington fans, like, Washington fans are start, like, in their heads have, like, started to believe that there's a conspiracy where people, like, are disbelieving the Washington defense is going to be good, which is weird to me because everyone I know thinks the Washington defense is going to be really good. But, um, like, I mean, they know it. Like, they they know they've got that side of the ball locked down coming into the season. So I think they have very high expectations. Max, what's an offensive coordinator that has the most to lose this year? Uh, I mean, (laughs) we're all really down on John Donovan. And (laughs) yes, he he could lose his job. But it's like we we already have a low opinion of him anyway. So. (laughs) <laughs> like a, a bad season uh, in in Seattle will really lead to the, his reputation being tinged that much. Um, I think to, mm, I like I, I think Tavita Pritchard is interesting to me just because the Stanford offense it, it's it's been inconsistent. I feel at best, and I, a lot of it's been the offensive line play. Um, and Stanford has a lot of talent on offense that they shouldn't like. If if they if they don't have a, a strong year on that side of the ball, I think Pritchard would be gone. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'd probably I'd probably go with Pritchard. Pritchard always he always gives me this idea of like the Romans going into France and like installing a puppet governor. Like that's kind of what I feel Pritchard is as that offensive coordinator was really David Shaw pulling all the strings. But um, but it, you know it's not. I'm sure Pritchard is is actually calling the plays, but. Man, but he—I mean—he would definitely be the scapegoat, though. Oh, if, for sure. So that, and yeah, like I, I feel like he would probably be the. Well, I mean, they're, they're like a, I guess they're maybe like a couple kind of like, especially like Chivarini if the Colorado offense completely, probably <laughs> <laughs> well. But yeah, I feel like Pritchard would be the most likely offensive coordinator to go if the offense, if if that respective offense had a disappointing season. I, I agree, but I'm, I'm curious, Rob, what, what other names pop up on your end? No, I mean, I think Max really hit a lot of them. I mean, Chiaverini and Donovan, uh, I think they're in a position where that if they if those offenses have a bad year, they, they're one-hit wonders. 
Um, I, I, I think Jimmy Lake will have to make a move if Donovan doesn't work out because I think it will get extremely loud in Seattle. Um, Chiaverini, I mean, this is his second, this is his second rodeo getting around that Colorado offense. Um, and in this, I mean, this time they sort of just kept him around, you know, to have some continuity on staff and because they really like him as a recruiter. But, you know, if he doesn't pan out here, he may not get another shot in his career calling plays, um, at this level. So I think he's got, he's certainly got a lot. I mean, but you could say that about Josh Donovan. Like if, if Donovan doesn't work out, he's probably never getting another play calling job again. Um, that's, that's pretty serious. I mean, like even with, even with guys that you look around like, yeah, they could lose their job. Like, I mean, they could lose their job because the staff might lose their job. A lot of the other guys around the conference, they're going to get another shot at being an OC. If, if Colorado and Washington have like the best offenses in the pac 12, everybody's just going to crap all over this podcast. I We've thrown so many eggs at them in like the last two uh, last two months. You know what? It's interesting with Chiaverini because the two four seven um, guy that color, covers Colorado. I mean, he reported that he didn't show up the first day, uh, yeah. right? So Carl Durrell comes in. He's like, "All right, everybody in at eight. And Chiaverini's like, "F that!" Like I recruited these people, uh, and he still got the OC jobs. So I mean, he like it sounds like, and this could be speculation, but just based on that story, it sounds like he has that he had that program by the balls. Um, in the beginning, but when you make a power play like that and you don't perform, uh, man, it makes it real easy for you to get the boot. So I, I think Chiverini, like not just at Colorado, but just in general, if, if he doesn't get the job done, man, like it, it'd be interesting to see where, where he lands. The only other name I had, I mean, there was other ones, but like, what do you guys think about Chip Kelly, right? Chip Kelly's offense has been basically a mess. If it continues to like, I think it'll improve a little bit, but let's say it only improves 20%. Um, I don't know if he has that much to lose because again, the buyout is there and he already has like the reputation, but I think that's kind of the reason you don't hire sometimes people that have already made a lot of money because he doesn't really have that much to lose. But Max, I was just curious what you thought about him. Well, I, I think I feel like the more embarrassing thing for Chip Kelly would be if he, if he had to hire an offensive coordinator that had a completely different system and he was the head coach. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he turns into like a Herm Edwards figure where he's oh, like the, man. the CEO. <laughs> I don't think it would ever get, I, I think Chip would, I think Chip would resign before it ever got to that point. I, I just, I, I could never see it. Um, yeah. I, I just, I, I, I personally like, I think Kelly has more to gain than he does to lose, which is kind of crazy to say. Um, just because I, I think like any kind, like if he could, pull off like a six win season, which is kind of asking for a bit uh, like that would at least cause some excitement. And all you have to do is just win six games, like the bare minimum versus I, I feel like, yeah, like if he go, has another like four and eight year, like buyout, the fans are angry with him, but it's like, it's already happening this past off, this off season. So. <laughs> well, let's kick it over to defensive coordinator here. Uh, Rob, who's the defensive coordinator that has the most to lose? I mean the most. I mean the most to lose. That I mean, like when you look across the the, the conference, like that one's hard because I, I feel like a, on on this side of the ball, you have a bunch of guys that are probably in line to you know with these, like if Kwiatkowski wanted a head coaching job, you know the Washington D.C. he could have it. Avalos is on his way, and I fully expect them to meet expectations. Like Morgan's, you know, Scaly at Utah, like he's a guy that's probably going to get a group of five head coaching job. Um, you know, the next time it turns around, uh, I mean, 
who's got a lot to lose? I mean, like, what are, what are our expectations for Paul Rhodes? Like, what would he lose? <laughs> <laughs> like, what? I mean, but, this, but it's almost the same thing of like Marvin Lewis. Like what's Marvin Lewis give? Like what skins he got in the game? <laughs> like, um, but it's in that sense, it's probably Peter Sermon. Um, he, pro- he will probably never call plays again if he stinks it up with Cal, I guess. Like, I, that's probably true. That's probably it right there. Like, he, he might be the only defensive coordinator with a ton to lose. And, I mean, Azanaro maybe because he could be so bad that he gets the whole staff fired. Yeah, th- those I had Azanaro. I didn't quite have Sermon, but I think that's a good one. Um, what, what about you, Max? Who's on your radar? Yeah, the two for me would be Sermon and Orlando. Um, just because if the, uh, yeah, if like, if, if the USC defense, like it wouldn't be that hard to take a step from Clancy Pendergast, but if it's on the same level as Clancy Pendergast, that would mean that Clay Helton is done. And that would, I should say it likely means that Clay Helton is done. And if Clay Helton is done, I, I feel like Todd Orlando would be one and done as well. And that they would just be all USC, uh, brass would be all in on John trying to keep, uh, Graham Harrell, and that would probably be it. Uh, but Sermon, like, how does he keep getting these chances? <laughs> like, I would think that he would have been done calling plays after Louisville, after how bad Mississippi State and, and Louisville uh, defensive coordinator tenures were. The, this move, like moving from DeRoyter to Sermon, I just feel like it's like, how did this, like, this is, this, was this a power move by Sermon? Did he say, like, I, I, I have to have this or I'm leaving? Like, how did this happen? Like, <laughs> and I was gonna say, yeah, just because I, I feel like with Mississippi State and Louisville, like they, they the, those teams didn't have the reputations uh, of being uh, like defensive first teams, and, and with Cal, like if if he if he's if the Cal defense takes a step back, like yeah, th- there's no there's no coming back from that. And it's impressive because Sermon after like. Um, Let's see. When Sermon left Mississippi State, they became the number one ranked defense within two years after he left, right? Yeah, yeah. They and that that year that they put together, um, not not this last year, but the year before, was unbelievable. I mean, one of just a phenomenal defense that they had. I mean, that was Moorhead's first year, and everybody, you know, thought like because people, you know, sort of tangentially dive in on teams, like they thought that was like an offense team. Like that team was all defense, like so good. Who was the defensive coordinator on that team? Who was Joe Moorhead's DC? Oh. It's funny because like they have oh it was was it Bob Shoop? Yeah, I don't know. Well, what, like one of the other names on my list was Lance Anderson. I mean, he's been the defensive coordinator at Stanford for seven years now, and man, the oh last, yeah, he's got to go. Yeah, they, they've been bad. It's just been all downhill, and I, I mean, I think and now I'm uncertain how old he is. So it's it's possible that he's just kind of like I'm out, <laughs> you know, like I'm done with this. But man, he's really got to turn that defense around if he wants to keep his job there, right? Yeah, I yeah. would think so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like all all of Stanford's coaching staff is probably on the post to lose list. The crazy thing yeah. is, like, we, I was really excited that Dwayne Aquina got hired there to coach the secondary, and it wasn't that great last year. That was that was one of the biggest shocks for me when it came to Stanford in 2019. They've struggled to get, I mean, it's not that they didn't have like, I mean, in, I mean, like central Florida went right at Adebo and that Stanford secondary and lit them up. Um, but they also have not gotten great pass. Uh, they have not gotten a great pass rush. I mean, I still think Aquina's got his fastball, but 
um, man, it's, it's, I, I, I think they, they struggled last year with, uh, how long they were asked to cover. What if we ended it here? I think, I think next week we can do most likely to overachieve, most likely to underachieve, and then like add one more. Um, okay. And that'll get That's us fine. another one. Yeah. Yeah. If it'd be like, well, I think... do special teams coordinators on this. Do you oh, want to just talk about Sean Snyder that badly? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I will, I'll tell you, like, he's got the most to gain because if he could turn around USC special teams, like that man might get a head coaching job at a group of five school. <laughs> yep. I, I just thought it was funny that Bill Snyder was holding his entire program hostage to try to hire his son. And the program still went, sorry, buddy. I know you've saved us twice, but we're not hiring your son. Like that was that I thought that was an underrated story in college football. Um, but heck, but hopefully like he'll be solid at the special teams because my goodness, it was funny because I remember last year, Rob and Max, you had brought up like, wow, beta rank has, uh, USC's special teams at 90. And then we looked at SMP plus and it had him at like 40 or like 45 or some crazy number. Um, I don't know, Max, do you think, like, what did you think of that higher? Like I, I was fine with it. I mean, just after, I mean, Baxter was a, Ugh, there were there were so many like the first play of USC season last year was a returning kickoff where they had two players wearing the same jersey number. I remember that it was yeah. beautiful. I, like I took a screenshot and everything. And then, yeah, and then like with the like I'm just show, oh well um, the Oregon game when they uh, directly like, kicked it off uh, to Oregon with like 20 seconds left in the half and then Oregon returned it for a touchdown and then that just completely. Um, it, it basically like put a pin in, in that effort there. Um, yeah, I mean the specialty and there were so many like long returns penalties like that, 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 that unit was just so poorly coached and, and so undisciplined. So if there's like any improvement and I, I, I feel like that we've seen some PAC 12, um, special teams units, like really imp- like Washington's last season, big jump. Yet, like that, really was an impressive improvement because normally Washington's special teams was that uh, was the Achilles' heel, and so the performance last year was great. Um, I was impressed with Arizona State's special teams. Uh, I don't know how they were. The, I don't know how they were in the previous season, the in uh, 2018 though. Well, that punter was a madman. Right, that was like the big thing. Well, Turk them. and Ayuk, like you have Turk and Ayuk plus. What's his name? It's it's not their kicker was good and that oh, helped with the prior year. It was Zane Gonzalez was yeah. the prior year and he was lights out. But then this past year they had Zendaya. Turk and then Ayuk and then they had the Zendaya. So they were good. But I expect some regression from them on special teams without Ayuk and Turk there. Um but yeah, I really I really like the Snyder hire. I thought that was a real like I was I was tweeting this out the other day, like I I don't know that I'm sold on Clay Helton, but I don't think I don't think I think he's a terrible coach anymore because I look at his most recent moves. Like he's had some good moves, and this Schneider move was a really slick move picking somebody up that I think does a really good job coaching special teams. And I there's some Kansas State folks that I sort of interact with on Twitter, and they they immediately hit me up as soon as that hire was made and said like, oh yeah, this is a really good hire um, for special teams. I would like. I've been very impressed with USC's offseason. Um, like, it's just amazing to me that this is what it took to pull the five alarm. <laughs> Here's the thing. If Matt Rule doesn't go to the NFL, like, they have Dave Aranda sewn up. Could you imagine 
if Clay Helton was sitting on top of Graham Harrell, Dave Aranda, and Sean Snyder, and those were the moves that he made in the last two years, like that's an ins- that's an insane that's a, that's a, those are great hires. Like Wait, that's that, the point I was trying to make. Would that be the best trio of coordinators in college football? It would be close. I mean, like it'd be, like you could stack that up against and like just on pure coaching acumen against what you would find against Bama. Um, well, Bama has Sark, so I'm taking that out. Like I would say. One of my favorite. I love North Carolina, except I don't yeah. know anything about their special teams coordinator. But I, I love Longo and Bateman. Yeah. Uh, um. I mean, cl- uh. Ooh. I don't know how I feel about Tony Elliott. Like. I, yeah. But, but yeah. Venables but, is the best. Like Venables yeah. is like my number one DC. But yeah, I, I mean, if, I would. If, I would say he's the number one coordinator in all. Yeah. Of them. So. It just seems uh, like they're compensating for. I mean, right? So you, you know, it's like it's like the really small guy that drives the big truck around. You know, yes, like you're building all this stuff around your deficiencies. Um, I, I mean, but he like, also hired Dante Williams too. I mean, like if you look at Clay Helton's recent set of moves, you're just like, wow. Like if any other coach did this, people would not shut up about it. <laughs> they even hired two the two uh, all star video guys from LSU. I know. <laughs> he's, he's been on a hot like his as a from a pure ceo standpoint of like making hires and getting the bag men back involved and turn back on and somebody actually um tom tolman um the former usc uh athlete um and i were talking about this on twitter like a lot of it i think too is that they have a competent ad who actually knows how to run an athletic department yeah, and like I mean, isn't that what SE should be doing? That's what Oregon's doing, right? They have you have the money, yeah, like, this, spend this, it. This, this this should have happened two years ago. Like yeah, after after the Ohio State ass kicking in the Cotton Bowl, this is what should have happened. And 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 then they had the uh, five and seven year, and then they had last year, and they're like finally. Yeah, well, yeah. it's it's good. It's good for the conference to have. So we have two two programs right now, SE and Oregon. That have like legit coaching staffs, and yeah. but then after that, I mean, I, now that I think Oregon might have the best because Moorhead and Avalos is really damn good. Man, if Moorhead if Moorhead can cast like I mean really cash in this season like that uh, that to me that Oregon team is is pretty loaded. I mean, I'm interested to see them long term though because like Dante Williams is is no joke. Like that guy could just flat out recruit. And I do think that I think that they, I, I think they will take a little bit of a hit in recruiting, not having him there. Who's the other program? Like, can any is there any other program in the Pac-12 that can just carry a big stick around? Because it seems like most of the other programs are playing Moneyball. Washington could, if they if Jimmy Lake had made a different hire, having Quietowski there at DC, I think. If he makes a different OC hire, we'd be talking about Washington there. I say, like people, people act like UCLA is like doomed to incompetence. Like they hit the, their prior athletic director Dan Guerrero basically did no fundraising. <laughs> I mean, he he and he put it, it was sort of like almost an agreement with main campus that they would not that like they would not infringe upon like fundraising dollars that main campus might get. UCLA is sort of like a financial sleeping giant too, because they have the same revenues that Washington has, but like you can clearly make a lot more money in LA. The problem is they um, just don't have the history. So, and I was gonna like those those Jim Moore teams, they had top tier talent. Like UCLA, yeah, absolutely. UCLA could definitely be like 
I yeah, like I I could definitely see UCLA. Like I feel like if UCLA ad, adds best, like UCLA and Washington would for me would be on a similar tier. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like everybody always assumes like UCLA will always have incompetent management, and like when people talk about like ASU as a sleeping giant, like ah, eh, like. UCLA is a sleeping giant for many, for me because they're sitting on so much revenue that they haven't even tapped into yet. I just think like they, you got to get people bought into that football program though, and they're bought into yeah. the basketball program. But even then, right? Like it took it took four Are coaches they? to say no, right? Until they <laughs> it took Mick Cronin. <laughs> I mean that that's the right that's the problem. They have the history, and I think people still want to give to that. It's can you get people yeah. to buy in to get in the football? And you see this in Arizona, right? Like this is a good example too, where people will throw money at the basketball program. It's are you willing to pony up to get a football coach and set a culture? And I don't know if there's been a football culture at UCLA. I mean, since I've been alive. I mean, I was I was alive for the Bob Toledo years, and they were okay. And then Carl Durrell, and then New High. Like there really hasn't been a culture of like what is what is the UCLA football program. Like, I know what USC is. I know what Oregon is. I know what Washington is. I know what Stanford is. I, I just think that there's more than throwing money at the UCLA program. And, and no, I mean, you can it's do been, it. No, I mean, I, I think it's tough, too, because, I mean, they've, they've been on a 20-year stretch of bad hires. But, like, every, I, I say this. This is true. Every school is one hire away, right? Like, like they are one like nailing one hire away from being good at football. And that's not easy. Like, it's hard to make a hire. But, like, I mean, Bama hired Mike Shula. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, Washington hired Tyrone Willingham. You know, like, Oregon hired Mark Helfrich. Like, you know, USC has, you know, wasted a ton of talent <laughs> under Clay Helton <laughs> or Sark or Kip. I mean, like, you can't, like, there's no guarantees. Like, people act like these things are, like, you're going to get more shot. I mean, it's like the Yankees in baseball. Like, the Yankees have a big enough budget. They're going to have, they're going to be able to make more mistakes. But every program is really one higher away. But I think what's interesting about the Pac-12 is that they've, they've done the retread thing so many times. And I think that's tough for a lot of these programs because, like, very often, if you hire, a, if you're able to hire someone up and coming, they bring the staff with them from the group of five that really had it going. Um, and that allows them to carry over. And so like, if you're, if you are Arizona or UCLA and you hire a retread, you know, like Arizona's on two retreads, um, UCLA is too. I mean, Jim Moore got fired in the pros. Oh, I mean, and Brick Neuheisel was retread. <laughs> I mean, like, I think that's tougher. It's like it's not it's not easy to go out and find like the group of five coach that's going to get it right. But uh, I do think that that's that's maybe a better option for those schools to try. Well, well, I think it's it's not just making the right hire. And that certainly can change the way a program's trajectory goes. But it's also keeping them right. Like, yeah, you go to UC or making another good hire. Yeah. 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 Let's say like UCLA. somebody goes to UCLA and he just knocks it out of the park. I guess some some of it goes to fundraising, but some of it goes to culture like is it worth building this up knowing that I could lose it really quickly? Or is it worth going to a program where the money and the culture and the funding is just all there? And I guess that goes to the point you're making, Rob, where like UCLA could raise the money, but I just don't know if people are willing to give at the level that they're willing to give at, uh, even at like a Baylor, you know, like what job is better UCLA or Baylor? UCLA. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. UCLA with, I mean, like UCLA, the way Chip Kelly's running it, (laughs) 
<laughs> and the way Dan Guerrero ran that, that that athletic department is clearly, I mean, that's, that's like the fundamental, if you just talk fundamentals, but that UCLA is a better job. If you talk about management, UCLA has been poorly managed. Um, you know, and I don't, I don't think, I mean, you can, you can make more money. I mean, there, there, there are no, there's no comparable, there's nothing comparable out there. Like there's no, there's no top football program in New York city. Like, UCLA and USC are unique in college football um, because most of the other powers are in like nowhere, (laughs) nowhere. (laughs) Alabama's in Tuscaloosa. Alabama doesn't even have that big of a population to begin with. I mean, New York and Los Angeles, their metro areas represent 25% of us GDP. Like there's just so much more money to be made. (laughs) um there that but like yeah it's it is tough because if you are your 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 point's not wrong though because if you're you if you're thinking short run and i'm taking this job and like dan guerrero was my ad and i thought i had to keep an oc in order to keep it going and or if they left go out and make a bang up hire or i had to hire a top recruiter you would have questions whether you get the money out of dan guerrero Right. Yeah. And then, so they have a new they have a new athletic director. You know, does that change? Well, and Max, you were at, at SC. And I think there, there's like a lot of people that will say, well, there's other stuff to do in, in Los Angeles and not everybody's focused on football. But you were there at the height of SC football. Like people show up if oh, there's a program. I was I was not there at the height of uh, USC football. It's oh. <laughs> like, I am not that old, Brian. Like, like, let's be clear. I, the one good year I had, USC was ineligible. It was uh, 2011. Oh, yeah. Okay. And oh. then other than that, there was the year where USC was preseason number one and finished seven and six. And then the Orger- the Kiffin tarmac year with Orgeron, I want to say that team went like nine and four. And then the year was Sark's first year, and that also feels like a nine and four year. So yeah, definitely far from uh, the peak of USC. Uh, well, hopefully, hopefully Helton turns it around because, man, like an SC program that is good is super super fun. And I like he's not Pete Carroll. Nobody's going to be Pete Carroll. The energy that he brought to that program is like totally different. And the football was super fun, but if SC is going ten and two rather than nine and four and eight, no, I've got worst worst case scenario would be USC goes nine and three, they win the Pac twelve championship, and they win and they win their bowl game because then Helton gets another year, and it's like wow, but you still lost three games in the regular season, and USC their their schedule. I mean, like some of it's manageable, but they got. I mean, they have. They have some tough games. I mean, they've got well, they've got I, Notre Dame. They go to Oregon. I yeah, mean, that's. I think that the at Oregon and Alabama game, but Notre. I'm not. I think Notre Dame's not that great this year. And I mean, they project. They still project to be in like the you know the 15 ish range. I w- but I I think that USC will be favored in that game. Well, let, let me I'd ask. Agree. Let me ask you a question about. Let's say Hilton gets fired. Right, he built this really interesting team let's say orlando you don't want to lose the staff that's though. what i'm like, saying right like don't yeah, like other than orlando it? like you want to keep most everyone else so it's like such an attractive job right like you know the the job goes open maybe they take carol maybe they take somebody else but like 
that's pretty if i'm if i'm an up-and-coming coach or somebody that's been sitting and waiting and i go oh i can go to usc and i get graham harrell and or maybe you know and i get like a good special teams coach and i get like uh whoever you know like williams. yeah williams and i get all this stuff man that that makes good but i guess i guess though if you don't take harrell harrell probably bounces right he's probably going somewhere else i don't know what do you think max uh money can always talk <laughs> i mean We'll see how much pride Arrow at. Like maybe they they offer him like I don't know, like two and a half mil a year, something like like what what do you, what do you stay for that? I I don't. He he always could, um. But I I think, yeah, I, I think Harold could have a pretty good argument for the job, if I and I, I mean I'm like very very optimistic on USC's offense this year. So if they ball out, but the defense has a couple lackluster games and maybe USC loses a close one or two. Then yeah, I, I think Harold could definitely because there isn't a clear cut front runner for the job. I just like who who would be the biggest name they could real. There's just no one to me that like pops up. Like I, I feel like some people might say uh, Jim Harbaugh, but I I can't. Oh no. no, good lord, yeah no. I, they're not going to take that on. They do Meyer. Yeah. I mean that would be the one, right? I don't I don't see the Urban Meyer. Like I don't see Harbaugh. I don't see Urban Meyer. I, what, I mean, what I mean, would would USC go though and hire like Billy Napier if Napier wins eleven games? That would be fun for me. Like I, I'd be fine with it. I don't think the fan base would. I mean, that's the, I mean, like the USC. Like they sort of the, the that that's like the one like like I I feel like the the most obvious one would be Luke Fickle. Yeah, I mean, I just like I like Fickle. Um, but just I think he's stubborn with his offense, and I, I don't think I, I think he holds it back. <laughs> I just figure just with the bo- with the bone connection. Yeah. So, I agree, and it's, and especially because like he came from a group of five conference that USC could definitely like feasibly hire a, a, a non power five coach and go that route. So. Well, it's been good talking on the Ray to Troy podcast. Um, thank you for joining us. <laughs> no, shout out to Alicia and uh, Michael. Hey, uh, th- thanks for coming on, guys. Let- let's hit the pause button here. I liked. I'm glad that we we did that. That was that was fun. Um, we will we will return next week and go through some more superlatives and maybe just break down another team. Um, just kind of um, go through, and we have we have another uh, a number of other topics that we have so we'll continue to record to the off season but max rob thank you for joining us and we will catch everybody next week